Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Brain, earlier you mentioned that the president of the White House thought it was a good idea for him to come out last Thursday. Just want to clear it up. Was it the president's idea to come out? It was the president's idea. Yes, he wanted to. It was his idea. And how forceful was he when he came out and and he said he wanted to do it that time? I mean, you saw the president out do this, uh, make a statement, take questions from all of you because he wanted to do it. I'm not going to get into private conversations that the president has. The president is the president of the United States. If he says he wants to speak to directly to the American people, he's going to do that. And let me let me let me try and, and translate, because this is so great. This is so fantastic. Let me give you the translation. It was the president's idea. No doy. I believe doy being the operative word here. Secondly, here here is the translation. We looked at him and we said, please don't do this. And he said, is there pudding? I'm going out there because I heard there's pudding. And that was the rest of the conversation. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. I'm taking off my shoes, people. That's how relaxed I am. Shoes are coming off. This is the most ridiculous commentary I have seen in a good long time. 833 got Tony, 833-468-8669. Of course it was his idea to do this ridiculous, nonsensical, dear Lord, what is happening press conference. This press conference where he looked angry, this press conference where he was bitter, this press conference where he stated as clear as day, hey, uh, hey, Israel, uh, I'm, I'm not a fan. Hey, Israel, I'm not a friend. Hey, Israel, I'm going to make sure that I make your life difficult. Have we all forgotten this right here? The hostage negotiation, I'm of the view, as you know, that the conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, has been um, over the top. I think that, uh, as you know, what I know is. You just told Israel that responding to 1,300 murdered Israelis and others, women raped and babies set on fire, a response is over the top. Oh, the response is over the top. You mean where they actually go about killing Hamas members? Well, Tony, they're killing innocent women and children and civilians, says Hamas, but they are lying terrorist bastards. I'm sorry, are we not prepared to have an open and honest conversation? Because we should have an open and honest conversation. Innocent people, people who don't want to deal with Hamas, people who want to live free lives and want to leave Israel alone have absolutely been killed. I concede. Tell Hamas to surrender and it all stops. But the idea that Israel should stop responding because some guy in Washington, D.C. has got a weak little girl's stomach and can't handle the fact that war is hell? Not part of the plan, kitten. Just because the progressives out there are a bunch of low-rent cowards unwilling to destroy the enemy because they don't think it's nice, 
Screw them. You want to know where I really feel on this subject? I mean, I, I don't know. How much can I do on radio? What are the words I can't say on radio again? They're, they're, you got your finger on the dump button there, Producer Kylan? Excellent. Because holy heck, I'll go down the road with you. So first, Biden says it's over the top. At that moment, people like Corinne Jean-Pierre must have been like, oh, oh, this is going to give me headaches for days. And then it got worse. Initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. You mean Sisi of Egypt, not Mexico, Egypt. And the gate is the Rafa gate, which is uh, connecting to Egypt and has zero to do, or at least near Egypt, and has zero to do with Mexico. This was the press conference that was supposed to show the world exactly how with it he is, how together his mind is. This was the special counsel report that had come out. The special counsel report said quite clearly that he's a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. He doesn't remember things like when his son died. He doesn't remember when he was vice president. And if you put him on the stand, well, my gosh, he's just going to be the sympathetic character. Don't get me wrong. He willfully held classified documents, but there's no charges to bring because this guy can't stand trial. That's what it said. And he was so bothered by this, instead of being rational and dismissing it and going straight ahead, he decides to have this terrible press conference. And in this press conference, he wants to tell you that he spoke to the president of Mexico. He did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate just like he talked to Francois Mitterrand, who's been dead since 1996. He never spoke to the president of Mexico. He spoke to the president of Egypt. So this was less than 50 seconds into his, let me show you how together I've got all this. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. But of course... It was this that was worth talking about. I talked to Bibi to open the gate on the Israeli side. I've been pushing really hard, really hard, to get humanitarian assistance into Gaza. There are a lot of innocent people who are starving, a lot of innocent people who are in trouble and dying, and it's got to stop, number one. Number two, I was also in a position that I'm the guy that made the case that we have to do much more to increase the amount of material going in including fuel, including other items. I've been on the phone with the Qataris. I've been on the phone with the Egyptians. I've been on the phone with the Saudis to get as much aid as we possibly can into Gaza. There are innocent people and innocent women and children who are also in bad, badly need of help. And so that's what we're pushing. And I'm pushing very hard now to deal with this hostage ceasefire because, as a, you know, I've been working tirelessly in this deal. How can I say this without revealing? To lead to a sustained pause. The sustained pause means Israel keeps getting hit and isn't allowed to respond. A sustained pause 
means that the United States, the president of the United States, has stated de facto that Israel is not to be supported in its goal of eliminating Hamas. There will be a solution that involves keeping Hamas around. Damn straight, the press conference was Joe Biden's idea because only Joe Biden could screw it up this much. That's what Barack Obama warned us. Never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to blank it up. That's what he said. And here it is. Here it is. Biden speaking with uh, King Abdullah of Jordan, saying that the key elements of a Gaza deal are on the table. The objective is to not just get a pause. The objective is to keep it. I say to you that the Israelis have repeatedly offered to stop in exchange for the hostages. Now, this leads some to say, well, then that's the answer. Tell Hamas to give up the hostages. This is all done. Everything stops. I don't think that's a good idea. I think the moment is now, and the moment was a year ago, and the moment was five years ago, and the moment was 10 years ago. Hamas needs to be destroyed until there's nothing left. Well, Tony, it's a terrorist organization. You can't negotiate with them. So Israel, because they're a democracy and a nation and a worthy nation, they have to stop and just take the abuse because you can't deal with these terrorists. I think that's crazy talk. And I think the people who talk that way are out of their heads. Think of the, of the conversation. Rules are only for people who are willing to listen to the rules. If they won't listen to the rules, you can't actually enforce the rules. You just got to accept what they do. After all, what else are you going to do? I think what you could do is push everybody from Gaza into Egypt and say, best of luck, and then shut the gate and salt the earth. Now you say to me, Tony, that's a bit too far. Okay. I'm willing to accept it. I only gave you one idea. I got a hundred of them. I'm nothing. I'm Mr. Idea on this. Oh, look at me. Snappity, snap, snap, snap. I got ideas coming out of my, you know, what's it on what we can do. How about we tell the people of Gaza to show us where the Hamas terrorists are so we can destroy them, the world can destroy them, and then there can be a two-state solution and actual peace. Although it's going to take Palestinians a while to get out of the idea that they, they you know, shouldn't kill Jews. Because very much so, they're totally down with that. You take a look at polling, they're okay with Hamas. Please, let's not kid ourselves here. It's going to take time for people to get out of the mindset. This isn't true of everyone who lives in Gaza, but it's true of far too many. You have to deal with the reality. You may not pay attention to South African politics. I do on the periphery. Because I noted when changes were made post-apartheid, and rightfully so post-apartheid, despicable, horrific, is apartheid. Something, by the way, Israel has never been involved in, no matter what Rashida Tlaib says. That Jew-hating bigot is a lying fraud. You can quote me on that. South Africa made moves in, for example, writing a new constitution. And there are people on the progressive left who adore the South African constitution. If you read the South African constitution, it will tell you, oh, here, free speech, except, of course, every time we say there's no free speech. 
Anytime you think that there is some level of a right that's codified, there is a reason that that right is eliminated. Then, of course, there was the expropriation of land from white farmers. Sorry, boop. Because of apartheid, very real, very awful, you no longer get to farm the land. It now belongs to this family over here. You know what happens if someone takes the land from a farmer? Let's say, let's say, for example, somehow we took the land from Christian farmers, whoop, and we said, here, you're Jewish, you now get it, you now get a, a farm. And someone hands me a farm. They hand me 70 acres and corn as far as the eye can see. You know what I'll have in a year? Dead corn. You know what I don't know how to do? Grow corn. You cannot decide you're going to create some better world by taking from this person and giving to that person if that person is not prepared to do what is necessary to make it work. They don't know how. That's not anger. I'm not, I'm saying that, I'm not saying that to be accusatory of the person it's given to. I'm discussing reality. If you said to me, we're going to take the auto mechanic shop from that guy over there, bloop, there you go, Tony. You now have an auto mechanic shop. Fantastic. But I don't know how to fix a car. Change a tire, sure. Fix a car, no. I don't know how. And then in South Africa, sorry. And then in South Africa, you of course now have candidates who say if they get elected, don't worry, they're not going to kill all the white people yet. That's an actual quote. And when pressed upon it, when pressed upon it, they wouldn't say, look, I'm not saying we're going to kill white people. You don't know what's going to happen. Anything's possible. True story. True story. That's South Africa. I bring it up because if we're going to be very, very clear about things that work and things that don't, right now there is a radicalness that has been well brewing in South Africa, making its way to the surface if you're only paying attention to it now. The anger of regarding apartheid isn't going to go away right away. But if the anger of apartheid allows for this, this destructiveness of what value is the nation. In Israel, there has been no apartheid. There are Israeli Arabs who live freely every day of their lives. There is no connection to Hamas, no desire to be like Hamas. They know that Hamas is the enemy, and they say so repeatedly in polling and in elections. In Gaza, there is a brainwashing. Kill the Jews, Jews are pigs, kill the Jews, do this. Here, child, throw rocks at those terrible Israeli soldiers. Four-year-olds, go throw rocks. They proudly push their children to do so. That happens enough to note that it's a standard. And thus, one will not have a Gaza Strip that is prepared to be its own nation because they're not prepared to live in a way where they don't hate their neighbor. So it's going to take time. Okay. It'll take time. But none of it will happen if Hamas is still in power, which is why Hamas has to be destroyed 
which is why I disagree with those who say if they just give up the hostages, everything will be over. No, it won't. Hamas needs to be destroyed. And maybe Hamas knows that, and that's why they're not giving up the hostages. But for the United States via the president to put pressure on Israel not to engage with these terrorists, to end these terrorists so they can live in peace, that is madness. Israel is over the top? Holy hell. Joe Biden is over the top. And as the press conference showed, over the top and completely underwater. All at the same time. Of course, Corinne Jean-Pierre, of course this was Joe Biden's idea. Even you wouldn't have recommended this. I'm Tony Katz. I also want to highlight a win for the American people against Big Pharma. Yesterday, a district court in Texas dismissed a case in, it, it brought against President Biden's Medicare drug price negotiation program. When President Biden came into office, he vowed to lower health care costs for American families. By bypassing the Inflation Reduction Act, the president and congressional Democrats finally allowed Medicare to negotiate lower prescription drug prices for seniors, while every single Republican in Congress voted against it. Despite Big Pharma's attempts to block the program, the administ- this administration is moving forward on fully implementing it. The- Big Pharma. Big evil pharma. They're coming for your children. They kicked your dog. They bring you crabgrass. Big Pharma. The hatred from this administration. You start with the Super Bowl saying, you know what the problem is? The problem is shrinkflation. I don't know why my Joe Biden sounds like Ross Perot. I have no idea. See, the problem is shrinkflation. See, things are getting smaller, and I'm already small, and things are smaller than me. So that's shrinkflation. That's not going to work. And that's why we got to deal with Mexico. That's not. A, it's actually not a bad Ross Perot. Can I get somebody? Really? No? I'm not getting credit for that? You all suck. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. That is, that is not cool. That is world class. I can do that, and I can do Norm Macdonald. These are the only two I have. Have in my uh, portfolio, uh, shrink, shrinkflation. Uh, it had happened to me once uh, in the in, in the shower. See, that's Norm Macdonald. That's gold. Gold. Good lord. The hatred of business. They they he talks about shrinkflation at the Super Bowl. He won't do the Super Bowl interview. You don't want to talk about a missed opportunity. Those evil companies are giving me half potato chips and half air in the bag. Yes, we don't like it either. But can we discuss the inflationary pressures? Which, oh, by the way, have you checked out the markets today? Oh, don't look. Don't. Don't, kitten. Kitten, don't. Avert your eyes. Right now, the Dow is down 498. 498? NASDAQ is down 256. You understand that in the pre-market, this stuff was in the green. And then what happened? What happened was inflation. Prices went up. And everything is getting punched in the face. Bitcoin, crypto was over 50,000. That's over. Let's break this down. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. He's with us next. And as he told me, he's not a happy camper. 
We will get to that coming up. This is Tony Katz today. Just do the math. Of course, we have national uh, minimum wages that we need to raise to a living wage. You're talking about $20, $25? Fine. But I have got to be focused on what California needs and what the affordability factor is when we calculate this wage. Ms. Lee. That is a push for a $50 an hour minimum wage in California during a California Senate debate. And Katie Porter is there and Adam Schiff is there. Steve Garvey is there as the Republican. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that was uh, Representative Barbara Lee. $50 an hour minimum wage. The problem we have, of course, is a total lack of understanding regarding how the economy works. And this idea comes from, amongst many places, lying to Americans. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. One of the lies is, my gosh, this economy is strong. Everything's going great. Joe Biden deserves so much credit. Look how good things are. You can take a look at certain numbers and say, okay, that shows something. Hmm, that works. Okay, that's something. Well, we're going to take a look at numbers. Let's take a look at BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which states that the consumer price index for all consumers increased 0.3%. 0.3%. It was up 0.2 in December. It's up 0.3 today. And over the last 12 months, the all items index increased to 3.1%. Before seasonal adjustment, I won't even get into where the core is. I'll leave that for Dr. Matt Will. He joins us right now, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Find him on X, Dr. Matt Will, W-I-L-L, Dr. Matt Will, on the Twitter uh, box. Uh, You got in touch with me before I had the chance to get in touch with you, and your only conversation was, I'm not happy. The Dow is right now down 463, and it was in the green in the pre-market before this report came out. The 10-year Treasury went through the roof when this report came out, so you're not alone. So let's start with the basics. Why are you unhappy, Dr. Will? Well, the, the unhappy is second. The basics are first. The basics are this. The core is 04 if you again, I multiply by twelve. That's four point eight. We haven't had this high of an inflation since mid twenty twenty one, and it's a three month trend. You and I talk about this. You know, well, is it an anomaly? Is it one month up, one month down? We now have a three month trend. All items are up for three months. Core index is up three months. The ISM index, which the Institute for Supply Management, is up dramatically this last month. Um, it doesn't matter where you look. Everything is up. Food is up. Shelter is up. This is not what we were supposed to be promised by the president. Well, let's talk about how did these things go up? We have seen, of course, that there were some ticks down in, toward, in the end of 2023. Then we saw a questionable uh, inflation report that seemed to show inflation at 3.9%. They actually discussed it being revised down, basically twice what the target rate is from the Fed. The Fed had questioned whether or not there were going to be three rate cuts in 2024, and now 
we have this. So you want to talk about the basics. What were the basics that caused us or caused America to have an increase in inflation? Uh, President Biden. That's the bottom line. President Biden. Jerome Powell has been very politically correct. He's been very gentle in saying, you know, we've increased rates. We're doing our part. Can you people please control your spending? He's been very kind in saying this. And he said, unless you get your spending under control, don't expect rate cuts. He's been very consistent in what he said, and the administration is ignoring him. And you just played a clip before you brought me on that got me even more riled. $50 an hour for the kid who cuts my grass? That translates into 100000 a year. Really? And that's not going to cause inflation. These people, these socialists running the economy, they're the problem, and their solution is more of the problem. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I, I have never had to say this to you, sir, uh, but I will. Just uh, warning you that we uh, do follow FCC regulations here. And we do. Because I think you're close. Like, I think you're that bothered. Of course the $50 minimum wage is, is a madness conversation. She's trying to make the argument. It could be 25 everywhere else, but 50 is the living wage in California, only proving, in my view, that there's no such thing as a living wage. But you mentioned Biden. Biden is the issue and the reason the inflation is up. We haven't, while there has been, of course, spending packages with the Inflation Reduction Act, infrastructure, things like that, as the Republicans have been in charge because of, yes, a lot of dysfunction, there also has not been a lot of legislation. So are we sure that our, our blame Biden mathematics is accurate here? It is, because this was the guy who looked, who oversaw the biggest increase in federal spending in the history of our country, the biggest increase in deficits in the history of our country. And it's more than just his actions on the pocketbook. It's what he's doing uh, from the bully pulpit. This guy had the gall to not do a, a Super Bowl interview. Instead, he did the shrinkflation commercial. This is I, I've been teaching this for years, Tony. The, the socialist playbook is this. Cause inflation and then blame it on business. I've been teaching this for decades. And that's exactly what pr the president is doing. He is complaining that the businesses are causing inflation through shrinkflation. And he wants you to blame the businesses for something he has created. Here, I've got to give you one piece of data. Three years, three years since he took office, 16.7% inflation. The entire Trump administration was 7.6. Three years are more than double the entire previous four years. That's all you have to look at to see what's happening here. So now we need to establish the difference between the overall and the core, because you went right to the core. The core takes out food and energy. Those are considered volatile. Let's go back to basics. Why do they get called volatile? And indeed, does that number comport better? Is that the number we should be looking at? At, at, at The number we should really be looking at, should it be with or without the food and energy numbers? Well, you know, I, there's no right answer to that question. What, what you did say correctly, though, is that it removes the volatility, the swings up and the swings down, which could be to a windstorm, you know, a pipeline breaks in Alaska, so that causes energy to fluctuate, you know, someone invades another country. So a lot of things outside of the president's control. So core inflation is less fluctuating, yet it is back up now to where it was in mid-2021. But that is energy. Food is still up. Food doubled last month. Last month, 
food doubled. That's a significant item because all of us have to eat, and we all see it. You can't go to a restaurant and look at the bill and, and don't notice that inflation has hit the food pocketbook more than anything else. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L, Dr. Matt Will, on Twitter. I mentioned that once this report came out, the 10-year Treasury jumped big. And, of course, the 10-year Treasury is important to note because that's what they base mortgage rates on. And for a while there, it had been back under 4%. And it was like, okay, this is good. This is a this is a win. And then, well, right now it's at four point two eight. The jump was massive uh, this morning. Uh, how do these new uh, rates, this new inflation, how do we feel this is going to affect interest rates in short and long term? Up, up. Well, I, that's the bottom line. I'm not sure how much more detail I can go up because. The market thought inflation was under control. Jerome Powell said, hold your horses. We're still spending too much. And magic, three months of trending up. So the market got it wrong, which it often does. And we are still with inflation. Oh, the good, there's good news. It's not as bad as it was a year and a half ago. That's our good news? That's your good news. Well, you are a, you are a ray of sunshine. We see the market immediately lose its lose its lunch right we we see it say dear lord we do not want any part of this 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 is not the day we were looking for what's fascinating in these kinds of moments is that tomorrow everything can be fine what is the reaction we're seeing from the market today well it's interesting the way that you say that. It's a thing called market efficiency, and people could go ahead and Google that. Market efficiency is this concept that the market instantly incorporates all the news it has. And so that's what you saw. The, move it, the, the market lost its lunch, as you said, as soon as it got the bad news. Tomorrow, it's already incorporated that bad news. So whatever happens tomorrow could cause it to go up. But that bad news is now in the market. And it's, it's gone. It's done. It's history. Okay. It's a sunk cost, as we say in accounting. I want to make sure I understand what you're saying here, because it doesn't seem to me to make sense that something like this could come out, that you could have this kind of situation, you could have this kind of issue, and then all of a sudden the market says, okay, we've absorbed it in and we're fine, we're moving on to the next thing. What do you mean you're moving on to the next thing? This has real world effect on everybody and on everything that we buy. How, how does the market think they could just absorb this in a day and get back to just whistling and walking down the street like there's not a problem in the world? Oh, it's not that the market doesn't believe there's a problem. What the market does is it instantly incorporates this information. You and I will talk about it. We're human beings. We're social animals. So it takes us time to mentally process it. But the market just coldly very frigidly just says, okay, bad news, put it in. That's now in the past. The market never looks to the past. The market's always looking to the future. It got it wrong. The market thought we're going to have rate cuts, inflation's under control. This morning it got slapped in the face and said, you're wrong. And so the market now has put that in. Now it's looking, well, let's see what's going to happen tomorrow. That seems odd. That seems odd because we look at this 
And every day we're dealing with it. There's this great clip of Jillian Michaels from The Biggest Loser talking to Bill Maher on his, uh, he's got a podcast, Club something, Club Random, I think it's called. Uh, and he's like, the economy's fine. Inflation isn't crazy. And she goes, look at the price of eggs. Try and buy a car. And she's losing her mind. She's four-letter this and four-letter that. And the truth is they're, they're both having a conversation of accuracy. In terms of inflation, as we have seen it in the past, it's not radical. In, in terms of interest rates that we've had historically, we are still relatively low. But in relationship to what we are told by the federal government, specifically by the Biden administration, that somehow it's all fine. And as you noted, it's the problem is shrinkflation because of these quote unquote greedy businesses. People realize that things aren't fine. So when you take a look at these numbers and you take a look at things like uh, consumer confidence, which is a number I take uh, as, as important, th this adds to the realization that consumers are not confident. And if the consumer is not confident, I have to assume the business owner is not confident about ways to move forward or ways to invest in their business and grow their business. But you're correct. But now let me let me give you a contradicting piece of information. The consumer confidence index increased in January. So yay, it went up. But then we have this bad news. And the market reacted positively to that news that when, when it was released back in January, just a couple weeks ago. And today we got bad news and now it reacts negatively. So yes, what you said is correct. You can have two disparate statements and they can both be correct. See, that's, that's what drives people nuts. Like it should have some ongoing uh, effect and, and it doesn't. And part of the thing that, that kind of struck me, you talk about you know where, where consumer confidence is, we also took a look at the fact that Coca-Cola said uh, they've they've got uh, they did better than than expected. You've got other companies that have come out with with numbers and saying, "Hey, uh, this has been uh, we're, we're much doing much better than than we thought in terms of how their revenues go." But we have not yet heard whether or not those revenues are because more people are buying their product or because people are paying more for their product. And I would assume oh, I that, that if it's question. the latter, it would have a continued negative effect on the economy. It did. It did. If you take the 500 S&P 500 and you take the, the jumbo seven, the mega cap seven, they made 107% last year. The rest of the market, 493 stocks in aggregate lost 8%. That's a big deal. So it is factually true that these numbers are caused by inflation and that 493 out of 500 companies in the, in the, the aggregate had a, a negative year last year. That's just a fact. Biden should send a thank you note to those other seven and say, hey, appreciate you making me look good. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I've got more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Age is his age, yes. I'll tell you this, though. I've worked with the president for a long time, especially closely as speaker when he was president and now since then. And he knows. I mean, he 
He's always on the ball. He knows these issues. He knows the legislation. He helped write some of it. He campaigned on it. He remembers it. Uh, anyone who would uh, think that they're at some advantage because of his age uh, uh, thinks that at their peril because he's very sh- Yes, that must be it. It must be that they think it at, at their own peril. He talks to dead people, Nancy Pelosi. What is this nonsensical defense? He's 81. He isn't as strong. That's all there is to it. And I think it's a danger to the country. But but Trump, and Trump does this, and Trump, don't vote for him. He's not the president. Don't vote for him. Go ahead. Did he confuse Nancy Pelosi and Nikki Haley? He sure did. Did he confuse countries? He sure did. Has he spoken to dead people? Uh, not that I know of. So Biden still got one up on him. Does he shuffle around the stage like he doesn't know where he is? No, no, that's just Biden. You want to do butt Trump, hashtag butt Trump, knock yourself out. But you sound like a damn fool. You sound more foolhardy than people like Speaker Pelosi, former Speaker Pelosi, who are trying to defend him. This isn't about Trump. This is about the guy in the Oval. The guy in the Oval isn't okay, clearly has mental issues, and should not have his finger on the button, endangering my children and yours. That's it. That's the conversation, John Stewart. That's the conversation, everybody. I'll explain more. This is Tony Katz today. <laughs>